are listening to Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good Wednesday show for you. We are going to talk about the NFL ratings dominance. Did you see the numbers from this past weekend? Holy crap. We're also going to have more Dallas Cowboy talk today and more Cowboy talk tomorrow with our guest. I'm going to talk NBA for the first time this year because there was a firing in the NBA yesterday that was, I don't want to say it was unexpected, but when you look at the guy's record, you would think, wait, why is he getting fired? And then I'm also going to talk about another TV deal that went down yesterday in sports entertainment. You probably know what I'm looking at. We'll get to all that momentarily. So let's talk about the NFL ratings over this past weekend. My Lord, did you see some of these numbers for the four games this weekend? For the four games, one was on ABC ESPN, one was on Fox, one was on NBC, one was on CBS. These numbers averaged 40 million a game. 40 million people on average watched these games. The first game, which was Saturday afternoon, was the Texans and the Ravens. And that drew 31.7 million on ESPN ABC and ESPN Plus. You're like, wow, 31.7 million, but they averaged 40 for the weekend. So that was the lowest rated game of the weekend, right? Yeah, it was. It was also the most watched game in ESPN history since it started doing games in 1987. The second game was Saturday night. Packers, San Francisco 49ers. That averaged 37.5 million. The most watched Saturday telecast on any network since the 94 Olympics on CBS. It peaked at about 41 million in the fourth quarter when San Francisco took the lead. Saturday, Sunday afternoon, Detroit, Tampa Bay. It was the most watched divisional round game on NBC since the 93 season, averaging 40 and a half million viewers, and it peaked at 49.1 in the fourth quarter. And then the Sunday night game was the Bafo one. Chiefs and Bills averaged 50 million viewers. The most ever for a divisional round game on any network in any season. The previous mark was 48.5 million that watched the Cowboys and Green Bay back in 2017. Chiefs Bills was the most watched program on any network since last year's Super Bowl. Averaged 50 million for the game. And it peaked at 56 million in the fourth quarter. I say it all the time, and I'll continue to say it. NFL is king, and live sports is where the advertisers go. It's why the Super Bowl can charge, what are they up to now, $4 million, $5 million for a 30-second ad in the Super Bowl? You know, and I don't even know what the return on investment is for these people. Like when Coke or Pepsi takes out a 30-second ad, it's like, we kind of already know about Coke and Pepsi. Do they really need to spend $4 million for 30 seconds? I mean, $4 million for the Coca-Cola company, I'm sure, is like me finding a nickel in my shoe. But still, it's just like you would think companies that want to make a name for themselves. Coke and Pepsi don't need a return on investment because people are already buying that stuff. 
So I, it'd be interesting. It's I, I like the finances of it. I'm always interested in who spends the most money and who comes up with the most creative commercials. But I've never understood the return on investment on something like that. Because if I'm watching a game and a Domino's pizza commercial comes up, which, you know, pizza companies advertise all the time during football games because that's an impulse buy. That's something that you could see a commercial and be like, oh, God, that looks good right now, and just pick up your phone and order it. But sometimes I see that, and I'm like, I'm not going to order pizza. Or I'm going to order, oh, pizza. Not really a fan of Domino's. I'll go with Pizza Hut. You know? So I don't even know how they measure that stuff. Maybe there is a metric out there that, that allows them to figure out, okay, when our ad ran, were their sales within 15 minutes of that ad running? I, I don't know how they do it. But, man... Pro football is so big in this country, especially when you compare it to the other sports. I mean, you might be NBA fans. You might be uh, baseball fans. I mean, you saw the ratings for baseball. As much as I wanted the Rangers to win the World Series because I had a 48-1 to bet on them before the season, you know, okay. I'm fine with that, but did you see the ratings? It's the lowest-rated World Series outside of COVID. Didn't even draw 10 million viewers. NFL games are getting 40. And I understand it's one game versus a seven-game series, but if the Chiefs and Bills played seven weeks in a row, people would watch it every week. That's what I'm saying. And it's just football in general. It doesn't even really be the NFL because we see what the numbers come in on for the college football playoff, over 20 million. There aren't shows on TV that get 20 million viewers to watch them. So that's why you're just like, wow, this is pretty amazing what we're seeing. And it's only getting bigger. I mean, I think eventually they want to go to 18 games, whether it'll happen or not with the NFLPA. We've already gone from four preseason games down to two, and even those seem pointless. I mean, college football doesn't have a preseason. Your first game is counts on your record. I would assume at some point the NFL is going to go to that model. We don't need preseason games in the NFL. We all know this. But, man, those numbers are through the roof. And I feel like every single year we get the same thing. It's like, wow, these numbers are getting bigger and bigger. 50 million people tuning into Chiefs' bills? That's a crazy-ass number. But <laughs> this is our love for football in this country, and I, I just don't see anything overtaking it anytime soon. Speaking of football, locally here in Dallas, the Cowboys are still – the talk of the town out here, we're going to talk about it a little bit today. I'm going to talk about their schedule a little bit and then go into uh, tomorrow. We're going to talk about it a little bit more, a little bit in depth with one of the best reporters on Dallas Cowboy football. Uh, I'm going to record that interview today. I'm going to run it tomorrow for you guys. But, you know, remember all year I was telling you, the Cowboys just, they weren't beating good teams. And I'm like, yeah, they're blowing everybody out at home, but what's the big deal? Give me the games that matter. Give me the San Francisco game. Oh, we lost 42-10. to 10. Give me the Buffalo game. Oh, they got routed. Oh, they lost to Miami, too, another team with a winning record. They beat the they beat the, they beat the Seattle by six, and they beat the Eagles the second time around. Other than that, no impressive wins on their schedule. In fact, eight of the Cowboys' 12 wins were against the six worst teams in the NFL this year. Do you realize that? Let me repeat that. Eight of their 12 wins were 
were against the bottom six teams in terms of record. New York, Arizona, New England, Carolina, Washington, and forgetting one of them. Well, the eight wins were New York. Oh, and the Jets. Sorry. Giants, Jets, Cardinals, Patriots, Panthers, Commanders. Those six teams, they beat eight times because they beat the Giants twice and they beat the Commanders twice. So <laughs> you're like, okay, well, the, who are their other four wins? Well, beat the Rams, or excuse me, beat the Chargers, who were under 500 team. Beat the Rams when the Rams weren't any good. You beat Philly, and you beat Detroit, 20 to 19. So you're like, okay. And I'm looking ahead already to next year's schedule for the Cowboys. Because you know me, I like betting over-under win totals in the NFL. I didn't bet the Cowboys under this year. If I did, I, I, if I would have bet it, I would have bet the under, and I would have lost. Because I didn't think they were going three straight years of double-digit wins. Because remember, before Mike McCarthy put three straight years of 12 wins together, they hadn't won at least double-digit wins. They hadn't won 10 games in back-to-back seasons since their Super Bowl wins, Super Bowl seasons of the 90s. So you just figure, okay, it's going to even out at some point. Next year, I don't know what the Cowboys over-under is going to be. And my guess, Vegas will set it at 10 or 10 and a half. They'll set it probably a little high because they've won 12 games the last three years. I'm going under, and here's why. So 17-game season. The Cowboys are going to play their division foes twice each, so that's six games covered right there. The two divisions that they play next year are the AFC North, Cleveland, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, all of which finished over 500 this year. And they play the NFC South, which was the worst division in football this year. Bucks, Panthers, uh, Saints, and Falcons. So they drew one they drew they draw one tough one and one easy one in terms of divisions. So that's you know four AFC North games, four NFC South games. So that's eight. Combine it with the six divisional games, that's fourteen. So who are their three other games? Well, their three other games are against all teams that won their division this year. They play the Texans, they play the 49ers, and they play the Lions. So you're getting a much, much tougher schedule. Last year, or this past year, I believe their schedule of strength of schedule was around, I think it was ranked 25th or 26th. Uh, just looking at these numbers for next year, the fact that you're getting four teams in the AFC North that all finished over 500, you get the Eagles twice, you do get the Bucks who finished over 500, and then you get the Texans 49ers in Detroit who finished a combined probably – 18, 20 games over 500? <laughs> I'm going under next year. I'm telling you right now I'm going under because they have been relatively healthy as well for the last three years, and this shit just doesn't continue like this. Just want to throw that out there. I'll be telling that to my guest today too when I interview him, see what he thinks about that. Anyway, um, <laughs> interesting. I can't wait to talk to him. I've talked about him recently on the podcast, so you might know who it is, but – can't wait to you to hear from him, and I haven't spoken to him in easily 15 years. So can't wait uh, to talk to him earlier today, uh, later today, and uh, I will have it on the podcast tomorrow. One of the most knowledgeable football guys you will ever hear 
in your paper, online, on the radio, one of the best. So you know what I haven't talked at all this year is NBA. NBA has been going on since when? October? Beginning of November? I, haven't, I don't think I've had one take on the NBA. Oh, we did talk about the in-season tournament. Yeah, we did. But in terms of breaking down what's happened this season in the NBA, look, that'll start just like it did last year, basically once the Super Bowl is over, because I'm not going to talk spring training baseball. It'll be NBA and college basketball talk once the Super Bowl is over, like it was last year, because that's when I start my deep dive into college basketball. And I have watched quite a few games this year, but of basically the ranked teams and the top teams. I've got to go start looking at the mid-majors, who's going to pull that you know, 11-6 or 12-5 or even 14-3, 13-4 upset in the first round. So I will be studying that probably starting beginning of February when things uh, die down. But anyway, in the NBA, saw yesterday, you saw the news, I'm sure, that Milwaukee Bucks head coach Adrian Griffin was fired. You're like, wait a second, aren't the Bucks pretty good? <laughs> the answer to that would be yes. The Bucks are 30 and 13. The Milwaukee Bucks have the second best record in all of the NBA, tied with two other teams, Oklahoma City Thunder and Minnesota Timberwolves, also 30 and 13. They're behind the Boston Celtics, who have the best record at 34 and 10. So you're like, oh my gosh. Not to mention, Adrian Griffin just got hired this year. He's a first year coach. Why are you firing a first year coach that has led you to? 17 games over 500. You're 19 and four at home. I mean, huh? <laughs> Second best record in all the league. And basically, it boils down to the fact that they're a terrible defensive team this year. And when they had Mike Budenholzer, they were a top five defense. And now they're ranked in the 20s. That's the big difference. They gave up over 125 points in back to back games to the Detroit Pistons. We know what the Detroit Pistons record is, don't we? Four and thirty-nine. So it's just been an ongoing thing. If you've followed in the NBA circles this year, while the Bucks are thirty and thirteen, it just hasn't looked right. It hasn't looked pretty. Dame Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo have basically—I don't want to say—come out publicly and torch their coach, but they have said things post-game that lead you to believe not everybody in Milwaukee, in that organization, on that team, are on the same page. So they decided to make a move and poff, you know, poff. I was going to say boffo and poof at the same time. So poof, there goes Adrian Griffin. At the time I'm recording this, it's looking very likely that Doc Rivers is going to come out of the ESPN announce booth and he's going to go coach the Bucks, which is a great hire. because Doc Rivers has won an NBA championship and he's a perennial winner in the NBA, not to mention when the story broke today of Adrian Griffin being fired by the Bucks, we find out that while in Vegas during the in-season tournament, remember Milwaukee played Indiana in the semis and the Lakers played, I'm already forgetting who the Lakers played. It was, was it Sacramento? Might've been Sacramento. Um, yeah, I believe it was Sacramento. Milwaukee played Indiana and they lost that game, but apparently while they were in Vegas, Doc Rivers, who was broadcasting the in-season tournament games, acted as also a consultant for the Milwaukee Bucks team. So he's already kind of spoken to them. He was giving Adrian Griffin, I guess, pointers, you know, being a first-year coach, not easy. We get it. But he was acting as a consultant for that team, and 
it makes the most sense to go after him now that you've fired Adrian Griffin. I hope Adrian Griffin doesn't think that Rivers was after his job. Hell, maybe he was. I don't know. Maybe he was trying to undermine him. But when the organization is going to outside help literally 30 games into a guy's coaching career, you knew he probably wasn't long for the job. And, you know, they gave a very generic statement of, we wish him the best in his future endeavors. They didn't go into, you literally just fired a coach 43 games into his coaching career and he's 30 and 13. You clearly have bigger issues at to fry, bigger issues at hand here, and yet you didn't even talk about it in your press conference. But I guess that's to save face and just be like, we made the wrong hire. Major League Baseball admitted three players into the Hall of Fame class for 2024, Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, and Todd Helton. You need 75% of the vote to get in. Jim Leland is going to also be in because he was voted in by the Contemporary Baseball Era Non-Players Committee. And so those three players got in. Maurer got in by four votes. You got to have 75% of the vote. Beltre got 95%, which is not surprising. Helton got 79%. It was his sixth year on the ballot. <clears throat> Maurer made it in on the first year of eligibility at 76%. Others receiving support. Gary Sheffield got 63%. Billy Wagner, 1.2% short, 73.8. Andrew Jones, he missed it by five votes. Andrew Jones, 61%. Carlos Beltran, 57%. Carlos Beltran, I don't, when I just see the name, you know, everyone says when you talk Hall of Fame for basketball, baseball, or football, it should be the second you say that person's name, if you even have to think about it, the answer should be no about whether or not they get to the Hall of Fame. Joe Maurer, Hall of Famer, absolutely. Adrian Beltre, Hall of Famer, absolutely. Todd Helton, probably a reason why he missed it five times. You know, good first baseman, but, you know, am I going to be, and this is a line that everybody uses, but I love it, am I going to be bouncing my grandkids on my knee talking about Todd Helton one day? Probably not. I'm not saying he's not deserving, not saying Rocky fans, you can all hate on me now. I just don't know if he's a Hall of Famer. But you know who I mentioned there that I'm shocked isn't a Hall of Famer? Andrew Jones. I'm sorry. The things that he was doing in the playoffs at 20, not to mention he's arguably the greatest defensive center fielder we've ever seen. And this guy's only getting 61% of the vote? I guess people are just forgetting of how good Andrew Jones was. But, you know, Hall of Fame talk and... You know, Hall of Fame snubs, all-star game snubs. I mean, you could talk about that stuff forever. But, I, I, you know, I'm fine. Joe Maurer, Todd Helton, Adrian Beltre, great. You know, congratulations, guys. Um, you know, it's a big idea. It's a big deal. You get to, you get to Cooperstown. You're, you're one of the best. Beltre was a no-brainer. Maurer was just a matter of, is he going to make it on his first ballot? But he was definitely a Hall of Fame catcher. Because he did things at that position that just we really hadn't seen before. Helton, like I said, just seemed to be inflated by the numbers in Coors Field. Whatever. I'm fine with him getting in. I'm not going to be mad at it. And one final thing in college football that I wanted to hit on. Did you see that Will Rogers, the Mississippi State quarterback who transferred to Washington, went in the portal? He was actually on Washington's sideline by the time they were playing in the national championship game. When Kalen DeBoer left for Alabama, Will Rogers went back into the portal. And now he's taken himself out of the portal, and he decided, I'm going to stay at Washington. The other two in the Big Ten, um, 
excuse me, the Big 12 now because Arizona is moving to the Big 12 next year, is quarterback Noah Fafita and T-Mac. I, I, I always butcher his name, so I'm not going to say it. They had both contemplated entering the portal. I think T-Mac did at one point, one of the best portal receivers that would have been out there. They decided to come back to Arizona, and so they are now Arizona is going to be a force in the Big 12 next year. That's going to be really, really interesting with Arizona. What is it? Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah all going to the Big 12 next year. Utah, first off, Utah is going to be really good. As long as Cam Rising can finally stay healthy for a full year, Utah is probably going to be the Big 12 favorite. Just keep that in mind. I know it's early, but just keep it in mind. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please follow me on Apple Podcasts. Also, rate and review. Um, It really helps the podcast. Tell your friends about it. A lot of good stuff coming in. Like I said, tomorrow uh, we are going to be talking a lot of Dallas Cowboy football. We're going to be talking football in general with one of the absolute encyclopedias when it comes to the NFL and one of the best writers, analysts out there um, coming tomorrow on the podcast. So look forward to that. Anyway, thank you again for listening. I really appreciate it. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See ya!